Hello everyone, thank you so much for joining us in this video today. We're so excited to have you here. So I'd like to ask you a question. Have you ever experienced loss, trauma, abuse, rejection? Have you ever walked through valleys where you felt alone, forgotten? I'd like to tell you right now that, first of all, every single one of us has experienced moments of hardship, pain, difficulty, and brokenness. And sometimes we might feel that because of the brokenness that we've experienced or that the paths that we've walked, paths of sin, that God cannot use us for His kingdom because we're too far gone, that God can't redeem us. But I want to tell you right now that that's a lie because God is in the business of redemption. He is in the business of bringing beauty from ashes. And what's incredible, like the story of Paul the Apostle, you know, we know his history and what he did, but when he encountered God, God changed his story. And he was able to use Paul in a powerful and mighty way for his kingdom. And God desires to do the same with you. So today we have a special guest and her name is Kat. And I'll have to have her pronounce her last name as I cannot pronounce it. <laughs> but I'd like to introduce Kat, who lives in South Africa and has an incredible testimony of how God used brokenness that she experienced in her life and turned it for good. Hey, everyone. Hey, Christina. So my name is Gatleho Shomwani. Um, everybody just calls me Kat. I am from Johannesburg, South Africa. And I'm um, happy to be here and just to tell everybody about my testimony. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Kat, for being here. So I know when we spoke previously, you shared how a lot of the things that happened in your life started when you were a child. And as you shared with me, your dad was a pastor, yet some things happened that turned your life upside down. Can you share that? Yeah, so I grew up in a very kind of like a normal South African family. So mom, dad in the house, older brother, me, and my sister who came a little bit later. Um, before my sister was born, my dad was very much involved in the church. He was actually a pastor. Um, he didn't have his own congregation, but he was invited to quite a few churches. And he would minister there and speak to people and hold home cells at our house. And it was, we were like known as like church kids. So, which meant that I would be wearing that white dress with the white shoes sitting right in front and um, got very acquainted with the church. And at some point as life progressed and we got older, my dad actually started to move away from the church. So less going to church and he started partaking in what we were, you would call ancestral worshiping. I think in America, that's what you call it. It's demonic anyway. And um, he would actually, he took part in it. He did active rituals in the house, outside of the house. And he just slipped away entirely from the church. Wow. So what were some of these rituals that your dad started doing? You mentioned he uh, stopped um, doing what a pastor would normally do, going to churches and speaking. He didn't have his base church, but he would go to other churches and speak there. But he stopped doing that, and he started getting involved in ancestral worship, which is pretty big in South Africa. And he started doing rituals in your home. Can you share what some of those were or what that looked like? So ancestral worshiping is definitely talking to the dead. So um, I think most people will probably understand it biblically as when Saul uh, approached the, the particular woman and she was actually like a witch who communicated with the dead because he needed a word from uh, Samuel at the time. Now, obviously, in terms of the type of rituals that my dad would do, it would be mainly like building like an altar with stones or rocks that we'd find around the area wherever we were. And he would actively like pour things on it. So it could be like African beer, which is like a brewed yeast type of beer. He would pour sorts of things, but he'd also like chant and have incantations to that particular little altar. And then he 
he would either do it by himself or he would invite us to join him with him. So when we were growing up, we didn't know what that was. So you would also like partake and you would like clap your hands and, and, and speak and, and call certain names out. He would be the one generally who calls out the names because we didn't know what it was. And he also, um, he would speak in his mother tongue, meaning the, mother, the language he was raised in, the one that his mother used to speak to him in. And some of these rituals, he would be burning incense, um, sage. It's, it's the English word for it is sage, which is in Bebo in um, our culture and you really like be burning it all over the house and again chanting speaking to something or someone and I remember particularly he had like these cloths he had like these very sangoma looking cloths um, which had it's, it's hard to describe but when you're South African you know what they are you know what like a sangoma cloth looks like and he would like lay them on his bed and he would sleep on top of them or he would have some of them in his car. So he, he, he started to go really full on into it. And I remember there was a particular day when we were driving home from school and he had picked me up. My brother was at boarding school. So it was just me. He would pick me up from school in the afternoons after sports. And he asked me, he said to me, how would you feel if I became a Sangoma? And I looked at him and I was like, why you know I I think I, I didn't really realize how deep he was into it or what it meant but I was like no no that, that doesn't sound right I don't think that's something that you can do and it's wrong and I remember telling him that it was wrong and that God wouldn't want it even though I didn't really quite understand all I knew it was that he can't be a Sangoma and I was not comfortable with that so what is a Sangoma? So our audience understands the depth of what your dad was dabbling in. So a Sangoma is a witch doctor. That's how you would probably very like clearly describe it in English. It's a witch doctor. In South Africa, it becomes a little bit more complicated because Sangomas are also people who um, a lot of Africans go to to get medical help because obviously it's not easy to get Western type of medicine, go to the hospital. It's expensive. You need money. Some women are right there. They're in your communities, two houses down from where you live. Chances are your grandmother knows of a Sangoma like we grew up with Sangomas. Wow. So as a child being raised, you know, in the church and your dad's a pastor, you know, of all things, and then he's starting to do these things. How did that affect your relationship with God or how you saw God? So I was very close to my dad, but his behavior started to change. He, um, he became more aggressive. Him and my mom were having a lot of marital problems. We didn't know much about it until it started to get physical in terms of where he would hit my mom. We once had a major confrontation, just I think it was the day before my birthday. And my dad and my mom were in a massive fight and my mom got badly beaten. He was huge. My dad was a very big man. My mom, I wouldn't say she was a small woman, but he was really big. So um, the impact or what, of what he could do was very much visible. And when we saw it, I think we were all shocked. And we all were like, what's going on? Why is mom in this way? Why does she now have to go to the hospital to get her eye patched up? Just things like that. And it was based on that time when he was very much moving into this whole ancestral worshipping. He spent lots of time outside of the house. He Sometimes he wouldn't even sleep at home. We found out that he was having affairs. And um, eventually my mom decided that she needs to divorce him and leave because it was becoming a really toxic environment. Like even so, we, we were afraid. We were like, we can't go sleep in that room. You can sleep in one of our rooms, you know, you, you, you can't be around him because he seems to always be trying to target you and hurt you. And you could definitely see it was based on these things that he was doing and who he was becoming, which was not our dad anymore. Yeah, wow, that's that's intense and that's, that's crazy. Um, wow. So I know you had shared with me that as all of this was happening, um, with your dad and your mom, that as a young child and as a growing into your teen years, you became suicidal. If you can share about that. 
Yeah, so um, I think this was probably around the age of 12, yeah, 12, just before I turned 13. I wasn't yet in high school, but I was very suicidal. Um, I also didn't have a very good relationship with my mom. And um, I was, I was, I wouldn't say so much angry, but I had this like self-loathing, like just if I wasn't here, maybe things would be better for everyone. And I, I took a lot of the blame. I took a lot of like, it was my fault that things were the way that they are, even though I couldn't understand it, that people in the house weren't happy, that we weren't getting along as a family. And I just thought that, hey, if I wasn't sure, I'd be, life would be so much better for everybody else and life would be better for me, whatever that means, because you did, how was it going to be better? But anyway, how children think. So I was suicidal and I think it was at the age of 12 um, I decided that this would be the first time that I'm actually going to take my life and I'm going to to plan it. And, and that's what I did. Um, my mom had a lot of like beds and pulls around the house, things that I could never understand what the name was, but I was looking for things that had like a high schedule or names that were really hard to pronounce, something that would be just like dangerous. And I took a whole bunch of pills along with um, like cleaning products um, so clean products and just whatever I thought was toxic enough just to kill me. And I took all those stuff and um, I didn't die because here I am. <laughs> um, but, yeah, what did happen was that I went to sleep. I was asleep. Apparently I was asleep for like four days. And then when we woke, when I woke up, she asked me questions. She's like, why are you sleeping so much? What's going on? And then I was like, oh, like, I didn't die. <laughs> and I was like looking around like, oh no, this isn't good. And I told her what happened. Um, I told her what I did and she couldn't believe it. She was very upset. And then she started putting the blame on herself, which um, I don't know if you ever like talking to someone who's suicidal, that's not really a good idea because generally people who are depressed and have anxiety, they also crave a lot of attention meaning that no one really knows what's happening in their space. So when you actually take your problems and say that it's on you and not on them, you just move the focus away from them and that just makes them even more upset. So, yeah, but that was the first time I attempted suicide and I think post that I had done it three times to make it about four. And um, I spent a large part of my life being suicidal and not wanting to live. Wow, that's so sad. I'm so sorry you experienced that. Um, I know even many of our listeners here will probably be able to relate with this story. So in this way, as you ha experienced so much trauma and seeing the abuse of your mom and your dad, you ex started experiencing, as you shared with me, like a distance and relationship from God. Um, and even as you entered into your college years, you became angry at God. Your your father died. He got sick. Um, if you can just share a little bit about about that. By the time I was 15, 16, he, he passed away in 2006. And um, it, was, it was a challenging time because I had so much expectations that, you know, maybe um, my dad would get better. Maybe him and I could have a better relationship again. It wouldn't be so awkward. And yet, when I went, when I got a bit older, going into my university years, I did start to become really angry at God and just very distant, not even wanting to engage with God. Like God was so far away from me. Uh, I couldn't think. I couldn't care less about the church. Don't talk to me about Jesus. If you told me about Jesus, I will tell you a whole bunch of other things. Like I was just. I was rude. I was crass. Like, oof, I was so worldly. I, I still cannot believe I'm the person that I am today because of how worldly I was back then and how I couldn't, I, I couldn't even engage with things of the kingdom because I didn't believe that God loved me. I didn't believe that God could care for me and was for me because of so many things that had happened in my life. So I became very promiscuous. Um, one night stands, just being with, hanging around people who were just not good for me at all. And yet always trying to find a place to belong. And I remember that even within my university years, even when it looked like I was with a group of people, whether they were artists or they were just 
people who were like political and social or people who were activists. I couldn't, I couldn't belong. I couldn't belong in any of those groups. I, I would try, I would try to, to, to fit in, but I never felt like I belonged to anyone or anywhere. And I always felt like there'd always be a time, like there's, there's a certain amount of time and I'd be rejected or I would be the one who does the rejecting. And it was also during my university years where I met the father of my child and started dating him. Yeah, wow. I mean, as you shared, you know, as you went to university, you experienced just this anger at God and, you know, you walked paths that you know, led to brokenness, that you sought fulfillment, you sought acceptance. Um, like you said, you know, there was one night stands, there was promiscuity, and then you met the, the father of your, your daughter. Um, but then when you realized you were pregnant, can you share kind of what happened and then the decision that you felt you had to make um, at that point? Yeah, so this is probably like um, the life-changing moments in my life. Uh, so I got pregnant really young. I had just finished university. I was still looking for a job, but couldn't quite get a job because I wasn't even really sure what I wanted to do with my life. So again, just roaming, lost, seeking. What are you seeking for? I don't know. And um, I was about to break up with um, my boyfriend at the time. And then I found out I was pregnant and I was just terrified. And I was just thinking like, oh my word, I'm pregnant. Wow, well done. And um, I, I knew that I was going to go and get an abortion. I was just, um, even just in terms of like the timing, it was perfect for it. I'd saved up a bit of money so I wouldn't have to use my paycheck. I could just go get that abortion and it would be done. And I went to the clinic and I told them that I think I'm pregnant and I'd like to get an abortion. And they said to me, okay, that's fine. We can do that. Before you can get an abortion, we need to confirm the gestation. So what is the age of the fetus? That's what it means. And I was like, okay. So it's actually a law that you have to see the fetus. And so they perform an ultrasound on you. So they perform this ultrasound and they actually make you look at the ultrasound. And they say, do you see that you are pregnant? And you say, yes, I do. And then, um, so I saw this little bean, like bean-shaped fetus, like, you know, because now that's what we call it fetus. And I saw it. And when I saw it, like, there was like this flood of, like, love. I had never experienced this intense flooding of, of love and it, it felt like fire it felt like just this fire was just coming upon me it just filled my whole body and as I felt it I just heard not my child and I was not even confused about what I was hearing I knew that that was God and God was saying that his child will not be aborted and um I remember getting up and, and, and dressing and the nurse asking me, when do I want to have the abortion performed? And she was saying that if I pay today, I can get a discount, like some like 10% discount, like something ridiculous like that, because, hey, you know, it's like buy one, get one free, like buy, get one abortion, pay for one abortion, get another abortion free, something ridiculous like that, because that's just how the world has become. And I was just looking at her like, did you not see what just happened? Did you not just feel what just happened? And I was so close to tears and so shaken by that experience in the abortion clinic that I was just like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll come back. And um, and if I didn't go back. And I kept thinking about how God was telling me that I can't abort this baby and this baby is his. And I was like, hang on. No, that's, that's not what I was taught. Like, Babies are not gods. They're fetuses. It's less than 12 weeks. I was six weeks pregnant, by the way. It's still a fetus. But still, in my heart, it was like, he loves her. And he loves this child. Like, and I was, my mind was just so blown. I couldn't understand it. That every time I thought about it, I would just start crying. And I was like, how can he love something that's not even born? And... And it's weird because even though I'd been so far away from God for the longest time, it was still his. And he could still speak to me in all my sin, in all my falling away, in all my, I don't want to know you. 
I don't need you in my life. He could show up like that in such a major way and not for me only, but for a child that no one knew about because no one knew I was pregnant. And um, I, I remember just making the decision that I can't, I can't go through with the abortion. And I got down on my hands and knees and I remember praying and just saying to God that, like, listen, I'm pregnant and I think you know because you spoke to me in the clinic and I think you want this baby to live and I think I want this baby to live as well. But I'm scared and I don't know how I'm going to do this because I don't have the best job right now. I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't think I like myself right now. I, I don't know how to raise this child. And I just said to him, I said, if you help me look after this child, if you help me raise her, if you take care of her, I promise that I will give her to you, that she will be yours, that I will do everything that I can do to raise her, to know you and to love you and to follow you so she won't be like me. And that just started like the breaking of everything and how my life changed at that moment. And that was in 2014, no, 13, 13, no, it's 2013. Wow, that is amazing. That's an amazing story. So even as you know, you went home, you went on your hands and knees and you went to the Father saying, God, I need your help. You know, I feel like you're telling me that not this child, you know, this child is not going to be aborted. Mm-hmm. Um, but even as you were in that place, you were still conflicted in your life, you know, kind of you were looking for a church to go back to church, but still in the party scene as well. But God was still drawing you closer to him. And you shared that there was a prayer meeting specifically where something happened at that prayer meeting. Can you just share about that? When Tenelo was born, I got this immense need to go and be a good person. I was just like, Lord, please help me be a good person. And I wasn't devout. It wasn't like I was reading the Bible. I still wasn't reading anything. I wasn't praying much and I was just like, Lord, I just need to be a good person. How do I be a good person? How do I be a good person? And then one day it hit me. It was like, find a church. I was like, find a church? A church? I was like, okay, I guess maybe there's good people in churches. Maybe that's how I learn. And then, but I, I don't know where I should get a church. And there was a lady who approached me once and she was friend of a friend and we're at a kid's birthday party and she basically started prophesying to me and then I was like I want her church I want to go to that church where they do those things so she told me and I started attending that church with my baby and growing a little bit more praying more now reading the bible now there's a bit of like discipleship and stuff now it was a bit complicated I broke up with the child of I mean the father of my child and but I didn't stop like partying on Saturdays I would party I, I had another boyfriend but on Sundays I'd wake up and go straight to church without fail and that's how I was like living my life and I was just like I'm gonna get better somehow and then there was this one night it was night prayer we're having all night prayer and I just arrived for probably like an hour and a half into the prayer and I couldn't focus and every time I kept trying to pray I would feel like there was like this pain inside of me it felt like there was something that was literally gripping at my insides and tearing them apart and I just kept crying and crying and crying and I couldn't understand why am I crying why can't I just pray like what is wrong and I asked God I was like Lord what is going on what's wrong why can't I stop crying and I just heard because you grieve in the Holy Spirit and I was like what? I was like, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. And then, and that was that pain. It was like my insides were being pulled apart. And I understood it was God's way of showing me that a life without him, that's what it feels like. Like when we grieve the Holy Spirit, when we're constantly sinning and sinning and sinning, that's what we're doing to ourselves. And I was feeling it. And I couldn't even finish with that night prayer. I had to go home. And I think I spent the next three days just crying because of, of what I was doing, of still being in fornication and I'm in the church and I'm supposed to be this mother who's leading her child to Christ like I had promised, I'd said I would do 
And my sinful nature was killing me. It was killing me because a part of me wanted to go to Jesus. A part of me was trying to run to him and be a better person and be used by him. But another part of me was just on its own mission, just completely derailing, doing the same things that I used to do before I even had a baby. And it was, it was wrong. It was, yeah, it was wrong. And it was, it was hurting me and hurting the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's incredible. And you also shared how as you were just crying out to God and you had that feeling, you, God revealed to you that you were grieving the Holy Spirit and the lifestyle that you were leading, that kind of trying to do both, you know, the party life and the church mm-hmm. life. But then he gave you a vision of how he sees you. You can share that. Okay. So um, with all of that just happening and being that type of person, I started to, so I, I would, I, I had to get into a place where I was, I was alone. So a lot of the friends that I had, I had to let them go. I had to ask God to take them away from me. And I was in a season of being by myself and not having much friends. So it was just going to work, looking after my baby, um, who was a toddler by then, and praying. And I started to, at like 7.30, I dedicated from 7.30 in the evening, once my child was in bed, that I would pray. And I didn't really know much of what I was doing and how it went up about. But then there was this one night where I was I was crying and I was really like crying to God. And I was just like, I, I don't know if I can make this. Like, I, I don't know why it's so difficult. I don't know why there's so much issues with me. Like, why can't I just be right? Why can't you just help me be right? Like, just make me good, you know, make me good. Because, you know, he has the power to do it, um, even though he does it in stages. And so... Yeah, and then I was, yeah, this time actually, it it still gives me goosebumps when I think about it. And so while I was busy praying, God took me to a vision. And in that vision, I saw a foundation. So if you think of uh, when they're building something, they first lay down the foundation. So that's what I was looking at. I was looking at a building's foundation before any walls were put up. And in this foundation, there were these deep cracks all over the place. Like this foundation was just full of cracks. And, and you could just tell, like, this is not a good foundation. And as I acknowledged those cracks in the foundation, then this, like, little gold, it started to fill up all the cracks. It started to fill up all the cracks. And then God spoke to me, and he said to me that your foundation has been bad. It's been cracked, and it was not a good foundation. And I am now fixing it. I am pouring myself into the foundation and I'm going to make you better. Wow, that's incredible. What a beautiful vision of how God sees you. So as you are going to the Father, reading His Word every day at 730, you made that a consistent part of your life because it's true. You know, we can't just like, okay, God, make me a good person and then wave the magic wand and boom, we're a magic person you know, or a, a good person. Mm-hmm. He, We have to actually... Um, really take an active part in going into His Word, spending time in worship, praying and speaking to Him. And He's the one who who grows us, who refines us, and sometimes is in that fire, but He's the one who creates us in His image and makes us beautiful in that way. So as you were um, doing this and growing closer to Him in that relationship, um, you started a new job, I believe. And if you want to share about what happened there? Yeah, so I, I started this new job that I didn't want. Um, I would, There was this job and another one, and I wanted to work for the other company because I thought it would be easier, but the father was very adamant that he wanted me at this other job that I didn't want, so much so that he closed the opportunity for the second one. And I was like, well, well we've got to eat, we've got to feed a family, so girl goes to the job she didn't want to go to. And at this job, I actually, um, that's the same job where I ended up meeting PD at, where he started to work. So I started working there about two months before he came in. 
And um, we didn't speak to each other because I was constantly working at clients and then finally came back and started working in office again. And one particular day, and I think everybody has like heard his testimony if they have um, listened to, to his um, teachings and some of the things that he shares. And um, so one particular day he needed help with one of his projects and I said that I would help him. And we were sitting in a boardroom and there were other people in the boardroom. And I had like the worst tooth pain, like it was so bad. And I can't even remember what pills I was on. And I'd asked a colleague to get me those pills. And while I was helping PD with testing his particular research, and um, PD <laughs> asked me like, are you a Christian? And um, that's when, you know, and I was like so shocked, like, yes, I'm a Christian. Like who asks those questions? And um, he, 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 he was like, before you take the pills, can I just pray for you? I was like, why oh, not go for it? You know, I think a part of me was very much okay with him praying for me because I was in a church where they prayed for people all the time, but you wouldn't see healing at that moment. It was more like we need to believe for healing. Now, I don't say that, I'm not saying that the father can't heal you like later, like pray now and then he heals you later. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. And I'm not saying that your faith doesn't also heal because we know in scripture that Yeshua says it quite a lot of times. He says your faith has made you well. You know, he looks upon people's faith and he says like, that's good. And because of their faith, you know, the miracles come. So I'm, I'm not against that. I think for me, like I was very much kind of like, yeah, 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 let me let him do what he needs to do and pray. And hey, if I'm healed, awesome or if I'm healed in two days time awesome whatever you know I didn't think anything would happen so I let him pray for me and when he prayed for me he didn't even have to touch my hands can I just say that he didn't have to touch my hand oh, no he did touch my hand he didn't have to touch my tooth because it was like this one here that was so my wisdom teeth all he did was like literally put his hand like fingertips like it was barely a touch but I was I was like go for it like go for it. And when he, he prayed the first time I felt that heat, I felt that heat that I had felt in the abortion clinic where my hands got super hot. And this time I felt it almost like, like, you know, like, I don't know, like in my whole body, but not quite, but it was like, it was very familiar. It was very familiar. And I knew it was the Holy spirit. And he prayed three times and the pain was completely gone. And I was like so shocked. And I was like, who are you? Who sent you? What are you doing here? Like, I was like, your man? Like, who is this person? And like, there was no, um, there was no like confusion that, you know, he was working for Yahweh. But it was just insane because there were people around us. And apparently he was walking around the office praying for people all the time. They were used to it, <laughs> except for me. I was, like the, I was like the one who was like, he does this for her. Like, who is this dude? Who is this guy? And um, that began a really great friendship where I would probably annoy him quite a bit and spend a lot of my free time in his free time um, trying to find out more about what he does because I'd never seen anything like this. I mean, I had been, I was in the church and there were pastors and people who had been like in the kingdom for a long time. And I'd never seen someone being healed instantly right there in front of everybody else. And um, not your faith will make you better or continue praying or sister, you need to believe that you're going to get better. And I'm like, okay, amen, I receive. Nope, there was none of that. It was, <laughs> the guy didn't even have to do anything. I think I was I was so, I don't even know if I was doubtful, if I was even given the opportunity to be doubtful. But I knew that every time when I prayed to God and said that I wanted to be a good person, I understood that that's what good people do. They do the same things that Yeshua did. So I was like, I want to know why he can and not necessarily perform miracles but it was like why he's so good why he took that chance to pray for me because I really wasn't paying like it was hurting I, I cannot even tell you when I got home how much I cried and I thank God so much for the healing because I was in so much pain and it's your wisdom teeth half the time they tell they can't take them out like they're just going to leave it 
And we started this really awesome friendship where he would he would actually like disciple me. So he he would teach me. I mean, when I had like issues not understanding certain scriptures, he would take the time to teach me to pray for me. Um, the first person who did deliverance on me when he saw that I was really struggling. He was also the first person while I was still in the church that I was in who told me that I should get baptized. And I didn't know that there was such a thing still as water baptism because no one spoke about it. No one around me spoke about it. I didn't see it in any like any other churches, people getting baptized. And I remember going to him and saying to him, like, Petey, I'm struggling. I'm trying to, a part of me really loves Jesus because I was calling Yeshua Jesus at the time, which is still okay. And I was saying that, like, I love him. I want to follow him. But I feel like there's a part of me that will not want to follow him. And it wants to go back to, like, my old life. And then he asked me, like, have you ever been baptized? And I was like, no, they don't do that anymore. And then he was like, no, it still happens. And he gave me the scriptures. And I was like, okay, okay, so baptism still happens. And I was like, if I get baptized, and I remember like, I was like, I didn't even be like, I need to pray about this. I was just like, if I, and he was like, if you get baptized, you know, the old man dies. And you just explained it to me. I was like, the old man dies. I'm like, so that part of me that always wants to go back to its old self dies. And I was like, okay. And I was like, okay, well, if I get baptized, I have like these conditions. You have to do it. It has to be in a private place. I'm not going to get baptized in some river or, or, or like a lake or something weird like that. Um, and I was like, I'm wearing my clothes. <laughs> and and um, yeah. And and then I was like, okay. And I just like walked off. And um, that weekend, that Saturday on a Sabbath, I got baptized. That's so beautiful. That's so awesome. So even as after you got baptized, um, like what I was saying earlier, you know, the desire to be a good person, it's not something we can do. It's something that God, you know, grows. And as he, that's some, it's a gift he gives. But as we draw closer in relationship to him and as we surrender our life to him, that's when he can do that great and beautiful and mighty work as he it's his Holy Spirit within us, and it's a beautiful walk. It's a beautiful relationship that grows from there. So anyways, after you got baptized, um, Petey's still discipling you, and just um, you guys are having a great friendship, but also just really focused on the Lord. He took you to a hospital to pray for people, and I remember you shared with me it was pretty crazy what happened. Yeah, so that was, yeah, that was insane. Um, so it was the same day when I got baptized. I got baptized on the Sabbath, the Saturday, and there was still a lot of the day left. And I remember when he baptized me, my hands got hot, so, so hot again, this heat. And, um, and it was a pretty cold day. Well, it wasn't a cold day, but it was still like towards the end of winter, so the pool was very cold. So it didn't make sense why I would have like such burning hot hands. So he, he it was him and I think three other um, saints who were there with us. And then they were all going to go to a hospital to go pray. So we met up with like a larger group of other people and we all split up into twos. And I was with Petey and um, I was still like, you know, really happy from being like baptized and stuff and just feeling like, all oh, you know, clean and just, yay, you know, hallelujah. Like I was just, it, I was just, excited and then we walk into this hospital and then we go to like the ward where the people are like like it's like it's over for them like there's not much that can be done it's just to keep them comfortable and I was like how are you going to put us in this ward I was like why can't we go to like the ward of like the almost healed people now we walk into this ward and then PD prays for like the first two people and they receive healing it's amazing I'm just like this is so beautiful and everything and then PD goes okay now you pray and I was like, for who? And he's like, for that man. I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm like, I don't know if I can. And then he starts to like tell me that it's not you, it's God, and you know, and God's gonna do it and everything. And I'm just like, okay. And I'm just like, okay. And then I start praying, and I'm trying to like mimic what he just did and everything. But I could tell, like, in my heart, I was so doubtful. I was so doubtful. But this is where, like, Yeshua comes in. And it doesn't matter, like, who you are, where you come from, how you're feeling at the time. 
he does what he needs to do all to the glory of God. And that's what he did. So now I'm praying for this man. And this man is like, he's in so much pain. Pray for this man. And this man receives healing. And I'm like, how do you feel, brother? And I'm expecting him to be like, yeah, it'll be okay. Like, I'll keep praying. I'll have faith. I'm like expecting that, you know. And then he's like, I don't feel any pain. And I'm like, what? And he's like, I don't feel any pain. And I just start crying. I just start crying. And I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Like, I think I was more surprised at him receiving healing than he was at him receiving healing. And then Peter's like, good, good. And he's just like encouraging me. And I'm like, this guy. And I'm like, did you not just see what God just did? And I'm like trying to be like, hallelujah. But there's like, like there's 10 other men in this ward that, that we got to pray for. And we prayed, we prayed for all of them. All the men who wanted prayer got healing. I mean, there was even a man, his leg was amputated. And you could see like it was just a stump and it was all bandaged. And he was like telling us that they just did it. Like, you know, they did it that morning or the previous night and he has just woken up. And like, you could still see like it was bleeding a bit and his family was around him and stuff. And I was just like, like horrific stories. There was a man who was like on dialysis and he's, he's, he's died. He was like, he's like, his kidneys are, are going. Like they just, they put him here just to allow him to, to pass. Um, like all sorts of illnesses and they received healing. And I was just like, how can he use me? I'm like, he used me. He used this woman who was like promiscuous, who was partying and drinking, who had a baby out of wedlock who shunned God and put him into a box far, far away, whose dad was like a Sangoma or quasi Sangoma doing rituals, worshiping the dead. And he used me to testify for his glory. And I cannot, even to this day, like be thankful for what God has done for me because the whole world rejected me. And I believe the whole world rejected me. I believe that I was not good enough for love. I believe that I wasn't good enough for so many things because of who I was, what I had done, what I had missed out on. And God was like, he'll use me for his glory. And I think that was probably, that was the time when my life started to really change. That was when I was like, I want him. I want him. I don't want anything else. And nothing matters if it does not involve God. Nothing is worth it. Nothing is good. There is nothing good if it's not Yeshua. That's beautiful. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that, Kat. Wow. You know, as you have shared your story and from childhood up into, you know, God drawing you closer, you know, he was drawing you and speaking to you and he was there from your childhood until now because he never leaves, he never forsakes. And, you know, after this experience, the hospital where God just revealed his, his calling for you and your identity in him. That it does not matter what happened in the past. The old man is gone and he is calling you to powerful, to a powerful calling now for his kingdom. But he had been calling to you and drawing you even from childhood. There was a song that you shared. I think it was about a potter's hand, um, even as a child and later uh, the vision that he gave with the, the, the buildings and the, the cracked foundation, um, just how he was turning everything that the enemy had, had done in your family's life and he had tried to do in your life. And God was turning it around for his good. And he was bringing beauty, like I mentioned earlier, beauty from what looked to be ashes. If you'd like to share some more about that. So when I was in primary school, which is like your foundation phase of school, like between seven and 13, I think, um, there was a song we used to do him singing on Wednesday. So this was the time where we would like listen to worship music and 
it was a time when we had this teacher who was very much into Hillsong. Now, this is Hillsong back in the day, like a long time ago. And the, one of the songs that we used to sing, and it was my favorite song, it was called The Potter's Hands. And in the song, it says, take me, use me, fill me. It says, guide me. I give my life to the potter's hand. And I remember I would sing the song as like this eight-year-old and I would just be like singing my heart out with my hands in the air just be like, Lord, use me, fill me, take me. Not knowing what I was saying, but just I had that song in my heart. And there was a time where I was, you know, as I was like giving my life to God and just being like, help me, take me. And the father and I were having a conversation and things were like really bad in my life, like, my finances were so bad. I don't know like, where my money went. I was like, I stopped partying. I stopped drinking. Like, where does this money now disappear to? Why am I so afflicted? I have nightmares. Things just weren't going well. And then the father asked me to open a scripture. And it was in Jeremiah. And this was the time when um, Yahweh says to the children of Israel, he tells Jeremiah to go to the potter's house and to see what the potter is doing. And then um, how the potter would make, like, mold the piece of clay, fashion it. And then... He would look at us and be like, no, this is not good, and then break it. And then the father, um, Yahweh says, he says to the children of Israel, why won't you let me do this with you? Like, And then one of the last scriptures was saying, like, it was literally Yahweh saying, I'm breaking you. And I was like, you're doing this to me, Lord? He's like, I'm breaking you. And I understood that he was breaking me and removing a lot of things out of me so that he could mold me into something into a vessel of his honor to glorify him so that he can say that this is good. And um, yeah, that was, that was such a beautiful part. And that's, that's how he, he, he still even to this day speaks to me in these little hymns that I used to sing in primary school, you know, like there'll be days where I'm not feeling too good and I feel like it was a bad day. And then I will just hear in my head, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made, we will rejoice. And I'll be like, Lord, is this the day that you have made? <laughs> and I would be like, okay, Lord, praise your name, praise your name. Because, you know, if you can say that, if, you, if, if that's the stuff that comes to mind and he's literally filling me up with just comforting me with those songs, and even like those little baby songs, you know, little Sunday school songs. And I was just like, man, we'll praise your name. And this indeed is the day that you have made. And I will rejoice regardless of what's happened. So praise Yahweh. Yeah. That's awesome. And yeah. <laughs> some of those, sorry, some of those songs from childhood still come back to my mind as well. Like also, this is the day or just a simple one. Like Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible you know, tells me so, you know. Jesus loves me. Yeshua loves me. This I know. And, you know, even in that, in your story, Yeshua loves you. And to all who are listening, Yeshua, Jesus loves you so much. And He is calling you to Him. He has not given up on you. It doesn't matter what happened in your past. You are never too far gone. And He desires to use you powerfully for His kingdom. He desires to wash you clean so that you can be brand new and to use you in, like I said, powerful ways for His kingdom. And part of that is by sharing your testimony, like what Kat is doing here today, um, just to share everything God has done. So Kat, as we're kind of coming to a close here, what would you like to share with those who are those who are listening? So you're never too far gone, not from the love of Yeshua. You are never too far gone. All you need to do is surrender. There is nothing that you could have possibly done, said, thought to yourself of others that would keep the love of Yeshua away from you. And it is his love that saves us. It is his love that saved me. You know, it speak if you if you look at the woman at the well, I always say, I tell people, I'm like, that's me. I'm the woman at the well, the one from John 4, where Yeshua approaches her and he speaks to her. And they have that little like debate and back and forth and everything. I was that woman. I was at the well. I was thirsty. I needed him. And I can tell you now, if you're listening to this testimony and even just that thought in your head that like, I need him, then you need him and you should just get down on your hands and knees and just give yourself to him and he will he will make things new and that's what he did in my life. Like he took me, he saw me at the woman of the well. He even said to me that you have had five husbands of which none of them are yours. 
and meaning that I had served so many different masters. I had run away from him. I was I was such a wayward person, and yet he could still use me. He could use me to heal other people through him. He could use me to minister to other people, especially to women. He could use me to raise a child, a whole child who speaks of Yeshua and glorifies his name. And now this little girl is running around praying for her friends in school, warring for them in prayer, you know, interceding for other people, giving her life, even though she doesn't know anything about giving your life over. All she just knows is that there is this mighty and powerful God who is mighty to save all who call upon his name. And she does it. And this is because the father showed me that I was not ever far gone from his hands. And I just want to encourage you to just like continue pushing and striving for him all the time. Don't give up, cry out to him, cry out to him and he will cry out back, he will take you. You know, it says that wisdom is in the streets crying out, crying out for people. So just listen, he's there and he wants you. And I hope that he will do a mighty work that he's done with me and he will see that work to completion. In the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. And I just wanted to share on that note that Kat is one of our email correspondents with Rise on Fire. And so oftentimes when people will send emails or prayer requests, Kat will be one of the people responding. So she is such a blessing to us here at Rise and Fire, and her testimony is so beautiful, so powerful. So I hope you have been blessed by everything you have heard today. And as we're closing, I would like to end with a prayer. So first of all, let's just go to the Father. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you, we honor you, we love you. Father, for everyone listening today, I ask that you just touch their hearts, God. Where there is a need for healing, that you bring healing, Father, that you bring restoration, and that you reveal your great love for them, that no matter what has happened in the past, the trauma, the abuse, the hurt, the rejection, God, that you love them so much. You sent your son to die, to take the punishment for sin, Father, to draw them close to you, to give them a new life, renewed, Father, to be washed clean, Father. Thank you, God, for everything you have done. Father, I thank you that you have given this time, this uh, testimony that for Kat to share, so that it can speak to a certain person in this audience today, God, that you are speaking to their heart, Father. So, Father, I ask that you just use this word to bless and to draw that person to you today, that they are washed clean that they are called for a powerful and mighty purpose. And they are called to be an emissary of your kingdom. They are made in your image and they are washed clean. They are beautiful, Father. We thank you, God. We praise you. We honor you. We lift your name on high. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. Amen.